This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber. And my guests are Jonathan Berry and Peter Moore. Jonathan has just directed Festin, which is playing at Steep Theater. Uh, Peter Moore is a cast member and also the artistic director at Steep. The play is uh, an adaptation by David Eldridge of the Dogma film by Thomas Winterberg, Mogens Rukoff, and Bo Herhansen. I thought we might start by talking um, kind of broadly about Steep, which has um, had a lot of successes in the last years, um, including a show that Jonathan directed here, what, four years ago? Uh, yeah, Irresistible Horns, Rise? Yeah. The Resistible Rise, I should say. Um, and then Harper Reagan was a kind of monster hit a couple of years ago. And now this play, Fest and Likewise, is... Um, incredibly well-reviewed and selling out and also really good. Um, so uh, maybe, uh, Peter, can you talk about if the company has a philosophy? I guess the question I want to get at is to what do you attribute your successes? And that's kind of a corny question, but it's actually what I want to know. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's a, it's a tricky answer. We were founded in 2001, it's our 10th season, and uh, – we weren't founded with an overriding philosophy, uh, more just a couple of guys looking to, to do some work. Had you uh, worked together, you knew each other a little somehow? Bit, uh, there's, there were three of us. Uh, Alex Gilmore, who is still in the company. We're the, the, the two remaining founding members. Uh, and Alex Squalino, who uh, I went to the school at Steppenwolf with, where John was uh, running the school at that point. So that's how I met John for the first time. And over the years, sort of developed a found a philosophy or found a, 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 a mode of working and a, and a mission that mm -hmm. seemed to, to fit us and seemed to, to appeal to people. Um, our mission statement, as it seems a lot of Mark is sort of broad and it's, uh, we bring out the everyday truths and the stories we tell through ensemble work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what that boils down to for us, um, I think John said it nicely before, uh, it's, we do stories about real people, and mostly real situations talking about real things, just real honest, mm -hmm. honest people, honest mm -hmm. situations and things that just about anyone can relate to. So it's sort of the guiding principle in the, in the work we choose. It's not a, a groundbreaking philosophy, but I think what has worked for us um, over the years is the, is the atmosphere that we've created here. At least I like to think uh, it's a, it's a very relaxed, open place to work. Uh, we always say it's, it's like a family and we, we like bringing people in from the outside. And I think that, uh, people like to come work here because we, it is so relaxed and we give them the freedom to, to come do, do what they do best and try not to impose too much uh, of, or meddle too much in their work. I think when we hire a director, it's, it's, it's pretty much hands off and it's mm -hmm. the same with the actors. They, they come, they, they enjoy themselves and, and, uh, and I think that produces, their best work. And I'm in such a town, rich town that if you create that sort of atmosphere and then, uh, have that kind of talent to work with, good things will happen. Jonathan is nodding. So I gather he, yeah, I think that, I mean, so many, I think companies in Chicago start with, you know, actors who are just super, super sort of hungry for, you know, incredibly meaty roles or really outlandish artful projects. And these guys seem to start with just a, an appreciation of each other and a desire to 
uh, uh, just a desire to do some plays and to mm-hmm. kind of work in that way. I mean, the, the, they also, I think, in terms of being kind of rare for theater companies, started with two guys who both both were married and both had sort of you know family ideas, both Alex and and. You know, they, they, they don't do shows on Sundays unless it's a monster hit because they want to be home with their family. Mm-hmm. And, um, that practicality and that sort of sensibility, I think mm-hmm. that, 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 that manages to keep the drama on stage much more than off. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And, and, and Pete might laugh at it, but I think that there's a, there is a mature attitude towards, mm-hmm. uh, towards maintaining this stuff you know maintaining the play maintaining the environment here there's there's a respect of it um Mm -hmm. and and it has i think that the evolution of steep has come from um some guys who started with it as as almost like a social time or a time to sort of be together and hang out and round about like year four or five there was um, there were a couple of good hits and a couple Mm -hmm. of People who started to say you, you might have something, and there mm-hmm. was just, I think, a philosophy shift mm-hmm. that happened in there that that said this this thing that has been our hobby seems to be able to be now potentially a profession, and um, you know, and that's about the time that I I came on board, and mm-hmm. and you know, there was just a real shift, not in the not in the atmosphere, but in the in the sort of professionalism of the work and the sense of what I think could happen. The artistic bar was sort Mm -hmm. of raised a little bit, I Mm -hmm. think, in an exciting Mm -hmm. way. Well, what what I hear you saying, which I I love, is basically you've you've got uh, grown-ups in charge. Um, and, but not, uh, but not uptight grownups. Is that a fair? Yeah. Mature and grownups are two, two words or phrases that don't get thrown around here very frequently. So while I didn't laugh at John, I certainly was smirking. Well, are there things that, are there things that you think of as being part of your culture? I mean, are there ways that you do things that are distinctive? Are there, you know, Part, particular parties that you have or particular, I don't know what. I mean, are there things that make a culture? Can you? Well, without giving away too much, uh, dirty laundry, uh, the one thing to put it in, probably in a nutshell is that after every show, the cast and the company, we, we linger and, and we maybe have, have a drink or two or, and have some food laid out. And it's not just opening night or once a weekend. It's pretty much every night and, and people know, uh, once they worked here that they're always welcome here and, and they can come just, you know, the show's usually over at nine 30 or 10, whatever. And people pop in. And, uh, I think that's, that's it in a nutshell without getting into too, too mm-hmm. much other crazy stuff that, that we do, uh, with warmups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it- and I think that there's, that there is also like a healthy sort of disregard of, um, the preciousness of some other, some other processes. I think mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, there's a realism that, that frankly, I think, um, when you hear the sort of Steppenwolf folks talk about the early days of Steppenwolf, I mean, those are, those are all people, some of them who didn't go to, uh, go to theater school, <laughs> some of them who sort of like left theater school on, on principle because they didn't appreciate the, you know, the, the, the attempt to sort of be an ice cream cone to kind of quote mm-hmm. chorus line, you know, uh-huh. that, but, but, um, I would also say the clientele is different. Uh, and I know that we talk about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, the, the steep audience base is, is made up of sort of like, you know, 
kind of working men and women. I, I almost say blue collar, but you yeah. know, it, it's, mm. it's, it's bartenders and people with, you know, new families mm. and, you know, it is not, it is not your sort of typical theater crowd because it's the people who, you know, these folks had contact with out in the real world before they came in. And you didn't hang around with a lot of actors. No, you know? not at all, really. Yeah, that's a, yeah, the big joke is said, you know, I didn't go to theater school. And John, Alex Gilmore will always say it when he gets direction, you know, I want you to go stage left. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to theater school. My so, left, your yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll but, try to keep the highfalutin talk down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's, that's very interesting. That, that evokes a lot. I, this is going to sound slightly goofy, but, um, the theater's really clean and really nice, do you know? And that actually just by itself says something. You go to the bathrooms and they're pleasant. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Festin. Um, and first question is how, who brought it to whom? Hmm. I, I brought it to, to John. Uh, it's been, it's been a long time in the making. Uh, I read the script. I think I, as I recall, I read a little blurb about the New York production before it opened. And I, that sounded like a great script for us. So I got my hands on, the, on, on a copy of the script. Getting the rights was quite a process. It took three years to get the rights. Um, and when it finally became clear that we were going to have a good chance of getting the rights, I, I think that's when we started talking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Boy, that must have been almost a year ago. It was about it was about May last year, yeah. about a little over a year. Yeah, and and getting the rights for a show like this by a company like yours is it? I mean, was it simply waiting until they concluded that you know Goodman wasn't going to do it, or is it? Is there something more to the process? Marla Rubin has the rights. You have to, that be a good question for her. I I, I think at first. Her reluctance was to get the size of our theater and the uh, mm-hmm. profile of the theater. I kept hammering away at her probably every six months, uh, and I updated her on on how our profile was increasing. And you know, Harper Regan certainly helped in Arabia and this new mm-hmm. space. Uh, so I think but, she appreciated that. And I think the relationship, like her relationship with first of all the film, like she saw it in theater sat in the the sort of silence afterwards and mm. said this is and she was not particularly a theater person at the time no. she she wasn't a producer no i she, think i think yeah i think she'd she, never produced anything before yeah mm. right but but she had some she had some chutzpah and some some capital and she sort of knew some people and mm. um decided that she really really wanted to make a stage version of of the film um and it and and I think that's why, for instance, we're not going through David Eldridge, the the, the playwright's agent, to get the rights, which is generally how that would work out. Right. Uh, because she commissioned David, mm-hmm. she maintains sort of sole command of where it is allowed to be produced. Um, and she did. She she fought incredibly hard for the rights and uh, was extraordinarily proud of the London production mm-hmm. and how it transferred. I think at least twice and sort of Mm -hmm. sold out everywhere and then went on tour there. Um, New York for a bunch of different reasons was less successful, but I think she still very much thought that, you know, this was something that should have, you know, it was her baby in in, in a really like personal way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think the, the, 
given the reception in New York, she was, she wanted to be very particular about where it was done next in the States mm -hmm. because it, it had been a huge success everywhere else. It, and I think it's like 25 other countries it's been produced, but we should fill in just a little bit for anybody who might not know the, the, the film, the original film Festin was one of the dogma films, which is this group of guys who had kind of a philosophy, Scandinavian filmmakers. Um, and as I remember what I know about it, their philosophy really was very theatrical in the sense of they were saying we're going to throw out all the spectacle and special effects of film that film allows us and instead it's kind of single set unity of time and place isn't that right oh that's true uh and 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 it was actually the first of the dogma films um mm -hmm. and it is a very very important movie i hadn't seen it before uh before i read the play um but in seeking and seeking some film film snobs out, mm -hmm. uh, they certainly had and sort of knew of its significance in the dogma uh, you know, tradition, mm -hmm. and um, and were were very very excited about the prospects of you know seeing a different version of it. We should probably just mention. I don't know if we had it, it. The some people might just notice the celebration is is the, the, the what it was released as in the states. Mm -hmm. yeah, the so, American title. title. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, would tell is, people about the play, the play Festin, and then after a minute or two, they said, "Wait a second, is this movie called The Celebration?" And right. then, then, then it rings a bell. So for right. those listening, the that's the connection, yeah. right? Um, in our house, bringing up children, we had a rule that you could never see the movie of a book until you had read the book, mm -hmm. because it's impossible to shed your mind of the images once you've seen the film to make your own. So I was just thinking of that when you said, Jonathan, that you had read the script first. If you if that hadn't just happened anyway, would you have made a point of it? Would it have been important to you to read the script before you saw the film? Yeah, I think um, because you do you 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 want to you want to establish your vocabulary. You want to, and for me, the role of directing is is interpretation. Um, and so, most of all, I think deciding what what Festin sort of Saying what Festin means to me sounds <laughs> sort of ridiculous, but why tell for me that Festin story? Right. Um, and I think seeing someone else's version, it's 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 really hard for me to direct a play that I've seen recently of yeah. someone else's, you know, someone right, else's take thing. on it. Yeah, uh, because I do. I think your good productions put you in that kind of conversation with a strong point of view, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to just with the sort of page in front of me, develop my point of view about it before. And then you have a litmus test and then you can watch something and say, well, that, that leans into it. That mm -hmm. is supportive of it. That is actually something completely different than I would have ever done. And we tried to do, I think design wise, something that was taking what the film was trying to do uh, and, and then bringing it up. So we have, we have a very, very specific lighting design and, and sort of the idea, I hope, of like a close up when, you know, mm -hmm. when the father walks into the room and you just sort of see his face against the black. And, mm -hmm. um, so we, we, we worked hard to kind of take from that vocabulary that, mm -hmm. that seemed successful. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I really wanted the sort of point of view first. You know, it's interesting you said that. There's one um, effect, I would say. I, let, let's let's very quickly now sketch what this is about because <laughs> we've been talking about it so abstractly. Um, and I would, you can fill in what I leave out that's important, but essentially it's the 60th birthday party of a patriarch 
and uh, three children are there. One is not because she has recently died. And it is the quintessential dark secrets are revealed kind of yeah. story. Um, and that honestly is, is a kind of story that I sometimes make fun of. It's like, Oh, another dark secret story. But this one is just, it does just get you in the gut, I think. And it's because it's not so much the secret that's important, but the choice to reveal it and the effect that happens afterwards. So it's not like the culmination is when you find out, but rather, the result when someone chooses to shed light on something very dark. Um, uh, so there's a, to me, a wonderful staging, uh, scene that I did think might have happened only in a play that was an adaptation of a film, but you can tell me if I'm right. Um, in the first, there aren't acts, but in the, the, the first act in terms of the story, um, we're in a bedroom with one big bed. And there are three, it's, it's encompassing three rooms with three different sets of characters. So, um, three scenes are kind of interleaved and the characters all sit on the bed, different parts of the bed. And it, as I remember it, and of course you only see something once, you just have an impression, but as I remember, all three scenes kept going. It wasn't like people froze to let another scene advance. So somehow, you, in, on this one bed, you created very clearly three bedrooms, three stories, all happening at the same time, which is not a very um, typical uh, approach in a play. It's mm -hmm. really like quick cutting is what I'm getting at. It's like cutting amongst three, um, three scenes back and forth. And my question, Jonathan, for you is, how do you make that work? I, I, I felt it to be quite a tour de force, that I was never confused that um, I absolutely accepted it. And I wonder if there were things you could say about, how, you know, what did you say to the actors? Did, to make this work, we have to... Yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, first of all, like credit where credit is due, uh, David Eldridge came up with the sort of theatrical coup de grace of mm -hmm. figuring out how to put these three, and they were, there were three scenes in the film that were sort of, jump cut it together. Yeah. So you're seeing one thing and then you jump to the next and you jump to the next. And they tried a bunch of different ways. They wrote three different scenes and, and they tried them in three different bedrooms. And, mm -hmm. and so they tried all of that stuff. And he sort of had the, as Marla uh, tells it, like the sit up bolt mm -hmm. in bed in the middle of the night, slap your forehead and say it's one room, right. um, which is, you know, Man, as a director, you're just always, always grateful to come across something like that in a play because you think Man, a whole bunch of people are going to give me credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't so honest, we would have. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I, I struggled with how we were going to call the rehearsal. Um, mm -hmm. Because I didn't know whether we should start with everyone in the room or not. Uh, mm -hmm. I ended up actually rehearsing them separately uh, mm -hmm. at first so we did a, an initial sort of staging rehearsal where I knew kind of quadrants of where folks were and sort of you know this is this is group one's dance space this is group mm -hmm. two's dance space um, and so made sure that the actors knew like what was happening in the scene in the silences where where they were going what their activity was and then it was about and we did we rehearsed that scene sort of more than most of the other scenes because it was about for me then trying to sort of link up 
motion in the silences, when something happens, when the when the person enters, and how that sort of uh, I think and the way I talked to it about the act with the actors was that you, know, you are not you are not in the room, but you have an awareness of uh, of the sort of presence of the other room. So mm-hmm. even if you're just sitting still, if there's an argument that's happening next door, your blood pressure is sort of rising with that argument mm-hmm. so that they would seem connected, so that they would yeah. seem... And when one person moves through, um, you know, somebody else has a sort of response. But it was, it was, it was a real sort of puzzle to put together. And uh, I appreciate the patience of all of those actors who you know, spent a lot of time with me saying... Hang on, can we just see that one more time? I'm trying to see six six right. people at the same time, and right. I'm just not sure yet how it kind of folds together. Like an orchestral score. You're trying to wait, where was the timpani? Right. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's interesting because it's kind of perhaps a, a serendipity of it. I don't know. Um, but the effect of it for me was to make me much more conscious of the house. It made me think about the fact of this house, which is... Uh, important, I would say, atmospherically um, to the play. So, yeah. um, well, what besides just the technical complexity of that scene, Peter, as a cast member, did you find to be challenging? And you weren't in that scene, so that's no, confusing. No, no, no. And as John talks a lot about, it, a, lot, a lot of this play is about bottled up emotions and bottled mm-hmm. up histories and sort of a, a, a regimen and and an order to life. Mm-hmm. And, and he was very very clear that he wanted us to be specific and everything had to be precise up to a certain point. And uh, keeping that precision. And and I don't know if I know what that means really. Right. Like for you as Kim, Kim, what would that mean? You play the chef in the house. The chef. And and, uh, perhaps the order to to the setting of the table, to to your conduct in the dining room. there's There's a... there's a mode of behavior that is accepted in this society, but in, in particular in this family, that yeah. needs to be kept up at all times in face of all revelations, outlandish behavior. Uh, uh, I think that was an important. I, ho- I hope I'm doing yeah. justice to what you're saying. You well, were, I think, and there, there is, I mean, in terms of sort of Kim Zark, a moment that you and Kevin really, really played beautifully is the you know pushing him to action, pushing him to action, and talking. Like friends and casually, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, the, the patriarch comes in and suddenly there is, there must necessarily be a return to structure and a return to order and the spines get a little bit stiffer and, mm-hmm. um, there is a politeness to the service that comes out. And, um, I mean, all of these people, I think, they did the New York production in American accents, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the important things for me the very first time reading it to Pete was, hey, I really think that I really think that we need to keep the, the British accent. Well, and it wouldn't be keep. Yeah. Right? Or, well, right. keep in the sense of it was first done in London. Mm-hmm. I see right. what you're saying. Yes, right, right, right. 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 Um, because for Americans, that evokes a certain kind of uh, more formal, more um, class system and so right. forth. Is that why? So, so, so creating that formality. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that it's really hard for an American audience to sit and listen to a sort of you know an american dialect family and get that sense of yeah that sense of breeding it's not to say that those families don't exist mm-hmm. but i think for a typical audience they they are more willing to 
buy it mm -hmm. if you kind of lean into the stereotype of the sort of buttoned-up Brit. Huh? Right, right. Um, one, I think, tricky issue, and this came up in the Pain in the Itch, the Bruce Norris play at Steppenwolf, um, when you have a play that has very dark material, and in this case I think probably people know that there's uh, sexual abuse is the underlying secret. Um, and this play has a young actress playing a six, seven-year-old something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it is troubling, I think, for me as a mother. After I'm fine in the, the play because I'm totally, I'm totally in the story and she's just the little girl there. But when I'm driving home, I'm thinking, geez, you know, that little girl, how did you protect her from the content? Or did you? Could you? John did a really nice job of protecting. There's, there's two little girls that, that alternate nights. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I thought he did a wonderful job I, calling them when they needed to be called. And then I did this, I, I never, I mean, we never talked about this, but the, the, when the, when the revelation finally comes and, uh, the little girl goes to the corner and, and, plays with with the maid mm -hmm. and uh yeah there's a storytelling element there but there's also i think some a director looking out for a for an eight-year-old's mm -hmm. delicate ears and mm -hmm. sensibility and not needing to hear what's going on there so mm -hmm. yeah I, I, I mean the big thing is first of all to like you know make sure that the parents read the script first and have right. a very very frank discussion about with them about right. you know is this okay mm -hmm. um and 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 then you do you try to not quite speak in code because I, you know I don't believe that <laughs> it's not that they don't know what's being said I think that more importantly it's they don't care mm -hmm. at at age eight and yeah, if yeah, you right. can if you can keep sort of the 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 atmosphere backstage to you know something that is loose and focused on their sort of well-being and mm -hmm. you know you know it, it it is it's 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 certainly tricky and you do mm -hmm. I, I find the way you talk about the information is is a, a little, little bit more in the world of make-believe and mm -hmm. a little bit more of you know although i mean in a hilarious story you know telling mm -hmm. telling the girl at one point like i think you know as you walk over to this this final this final moment i think if you can if you can pretend a little bit like almost like you're a balloon you know let's just pretend you're a balloon as you sort of <laughs> approach and this little eight-year-old turned to me and said oh because i'm a ghost <laughs> like, so you know they're they're always smarter than we think they are right, and right. you know i had la the language conversation the first day and then the very first scene you know that we're sitting around the table and there is nothing sort of more awkward than sitting around a table with two parents sitting in the back and having an actor just tear into dialogue that mm -hmm. is F this and F right, that. And, right. Have you had, have you had reactions, um, negative reactions to, I mean, the, the artistry is, is hard to quarrel with, but I could imagine people just being offended by being subjected to that. Has that happened? No. No. I can't think of any instance. In the past, we've, you know, Every once in a while, you get an email or a phone call, the material or, or whatnot. But I, I can't think of any instance um, with Festin or, or where that's happened. I kept waiting for that shoe to drop. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the the first thing I said to Pete when I when I read it was, 
yeah, I'm incredibly excited about this, this play and want to do it. Mm-hmm. No one is going to come and see this. <laughs> I, Which I is why you're not a producer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could already hear in my head the, the, right. the very, very aggressive Hedy Weiss review. Mm-hmm. I knew like mm-hmm. immediately that she was going to just, and you know, to, to everyone's credit, they have just, They've approached the material and they've seen it as, as people and they've seen, you know, they've seen the story for, for I think, I hope what it is. And, um, you know, we've just been, I have been sort of amazed Mm -hmm. and, and it really has been, you know, I mean, people aren't coming back a second time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of repeat business on this Uh one, but, um, not, it's, it's interesting though, because although it, it actually is a triumphant end. I mean, it is in fact a very um, uplifting. In a, it's maybe too strong a word, but you know, right, right wins out. Yeah. <laughs> at the end, and and um, there has been a correction in the society that yeah. feels very important. Well, um, thanks to you both for joining me to talk about. It. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.